Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak life into our lives. Thank you that your life is made true in our relationships one with another. We pray that you would open your word to us now and that you would breathe your spirit into us and into this place, that Jesus would be glorified and lifted up, and that our lives would be changed, and that we would be hungry and thirsty for more of you. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. So what do you want this morning? Tough or gentle? Gentle! Uh, Close your your ears, Bev, because I'm going to be speaking about the F word. You know what the F word is? Fake or fruit. I said to Dave, I was talking on mercy and grace because I knew he wouldn't handle the F word. And Jesus gave us parable and he spoke about uh, forgiving. And he said there was this servant and uh, the king decided it was time to rack up the debts and come and collect all the debts. And he came down to the servant and he said, this is what you owe, and the servant was mortified. He couldn't pay it. It was millions of dollars equivalency. And he begged, he pleaded with the king, and he said, please, don't take my wife and kids and my family and my house and all the rest of it. Please have mercy on me. And the king, who was essentially kind, even though justice demanded that that debt should be paid, said, I will cancel your debt and you may go free. The servant was thrilled, found his wife on his cell phone and said, guess what happened today at the office? Walks outside and sees one of his servants who owes him the equivalent of $50. And he says, you owe me. The guy says, I haven't got it, please give me some more time, please give me... He rubs him up and he says to him, unless you pay whatever he said. And he made that man's life miserable because he hadn't repaid the debt that he owed him. Well, that all got back to the king who said, how come you didn't forgive as I forgave you? He, he cancelled the fact that he had cancelled the debt and he locked the man up and he said, you'll pay everything. Now why did Jesus tell that story? First of all, Peter said to him, Peter said, how many times do we have to forgive? And Peter being Peter, one wonders why he asked. I wonder what was bugging him. I wonder who he was ticked off with. Jesus, how many times do I have to go through this? And Peter often asked Jesus questions, I think, because he thought he knew the answer. And Jesus' response, telling the parable, was uh, more than 70 times 7. There's no end to it. But the question Jesus was also saying to Peter at the end of his parable was, why wouldn't that servant forgive? Why wouldn't he forgive when he had been forgiven so much? Why couldn't he pass it on, as that movie says, pay it forward? What is it that rises up and says, you owe me? And if you're like me, we live there. Most of the time. Politely or not politely. You owe me. Remember Jesus 
encounter with Mary or a woman as it was described where she comes and she washes his feet and he's in a dinner party with uh, Simon I think it is and Simon and the Pharisees are sort of uh, tut-tutting about this behavior of this woman and Jesus just says she's done a wonderful thing and then added the comment uh, he has been forgiven little loves little God gave us his son because he said we had a debt that was beyond our ability to pay and his son went to the cross to cancel that debt to defeat Satan and the power of darkness to overcome what had happened in Eden where the breaking of the covenant between God and Adam and Eve had given authority to Satan, the prince of darkness, to rule on this earth. So we want to think this morning about what does it mean to live as Jesus would have us live in a world where there are two realms continually interlocking the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness and the only place that the kingdom of heaven is revealed is in you and me if we don't serve Jesus we serve Satan there's no middle ground whether we recognize it or not, whether we buy into it or not, we've not given the privilege to choose that reality. That is a reality. We are given a privilege to choose whom we will serve. And so it's essential that we learn to live with a consciousness of these two realms constantly interplaying in the world in which we live. If you look through the scriptures, you see it all the time. Remember back in Egypt, you have Pharaoh and you have Moses coming into Egypt to rescue people out of slavery. Go further back, you have Eden and Satan slipping into Eden as a snake to undermine what God has done. Wherever God is at work in the scriptures, evil is also there trying to undermine. It is always going on. You have Jesus coming into the world and exercising its authority and part of that authority is casting out the demonic but eventually he goes to the cross there's a reaction to the kingdom of God in the world some people love him, some people hate him they think he has victory they have victory when they take him to the cross then he rises from the dead to demonstrate the ultimate victory but those two kingdoms interplaying and uh, interlocking so when we become Christian, we, we say we're signing on to saying, Jesus, you are Lord as we have worshipped. And we're going to serve you in the midst of this enemy territory, if you will. And our job is to therefore live under the authority of Jesus and to follow him and to do as he commands and to demonstrate his power and his life and his love in the world, which is basically... Uh, polluted and overrun by the prince of darkness that's what we know in the scriptures we know what naturally lives in us don't we what naturally lives in us is us self-centered rebellion that's why we re read the passage from two kings where Elisha is there and the army is around and the one, his servant 
Elisha's servant says, we're going to be defeated, there are not enough people. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes so that he will see the other realm, the realm of the spiritual, the realm of God's angels, the realm of God's power. And he will know that where one person is with God, that is enough. I don't live naturally there. Do you? So we, we need to be reminded of this, encouraged of it. Uh, continually refreshed in the knowledge of how this and what, what goes on. We live in a very insular, self-centered, self-absorbed world where we think that it's only about us. And I'm not saying that negatively. In other words, do we think that what has transpired in this church over the last 15 years is all just limited to the human realm? Of course it's not. Now that doesn't mean us human beings abdicate all responsibility for all we've done or not done. It just means it's all interwoven. And we need to pay attention to that in a constructive way. So wherever God is working, Satan is also working. Remember in Matthew 13, he talks about... Uh, the garden. We're going to talk about gardening. In Matthew 13, it talks about the, the, the wheat and the tares. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. This is verse 24. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared, and the owner's servant came to him and said, So didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked, Do you want us to pull them out? And he says, No, wait until the harvest, and then we'll sort it out. The point being made, one sowed good seed, and while the others were sleeping, which is... When we weren't paying attention and said nothing like that kind of happens among us, we find the weeds are sown and we have a chaotic crop or certainly lots of stuff that isn't all good present in the same field. So, what are we thinking about and what are we paying attention to as we reflect on these things? We're paying attention to the reality that in the midst of us, whether it's the promised land where God, do you remember, I know we've talked about this years ago, when God gave the promised land, he said, go and take it. What did he say? It wasn't all uh, Hawaii, here we come. The first thing they had to do was take Jericho. In other words, it was a promised land that they were going to possess step by step, bit by bit. And there were strongholds in that promised land that they had to overcome in faith, in the power of the Spirit. Uh, the promised land is very like your life and my life. We become Christian means we just cross the Jordan. We haven't arrived. That's why I find it so ridiculous when people say, Oh, you call yourself Christian. Yeah? And yet you do? Yeah. Why? Because there's a lot of land not being taken yet. It's easy to call yourself something. So, you, you, you know, you look at this. This is the, um, there's a book on um, shrubs and trees and fruit trees and everything. Christianity is not like gardeners sitting around in a sitting room studying this book and never going out into the garden. 
You only know how good this book is when you apply something in the garden. That the purpose of this book is to produce this fruit. The purpose of Christianity about following Jesus is not incessant Bible studies. It's having, studying the scriptures in order that the life of Christ might be lived in us so that others will know that he lives because of the quality of our lives. And the quality of our lives is not about perfection, it's about transparency and openness and honesty and authenticity. So how do we recognize who is doing the gardening if you and I are gardens? How do we recognize who's doing the gardening? You recognize the gardener by the fruit that is is growing in the garden. You have God the Father tilling the soil, nurturing good fruit, and you have Satan the slug. (laughs) Putting in weeds and destroying what is good. And they're always working together. How many of you uh, have gardens? And how many of you have pulled out weeds? And how many of you have sometimes pulled out other things that weren't weeds, but nevertheless didn't tell anybody about that one? (laughs) How many of you didn't know what the difference was? How many of you pulled out weeds last year and you don't intend to pull any more out because you pulled them out last year? (laughs) You know very well that gardening means incessantly weeding, incessantly pruning, incessantly doing work in the garden to produce fruit. It's the same in our lives. Jesus says, I am, my father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. So fruit, what is authentic fruit? What is the truth detector about the fruit that grows? Fruit does not lie. It's either good or it's not good. Fruit exposes what is in the root system of that tree out of which that fruit grows. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the mouth, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we're going to focus on really is the condition of our hearts. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. What's that fruit up there? Apples. Is it real or is it fake? Real. Sorry? It's really easy to say, I love God. I have this, I have that. I know the peace of Jesus which passes understanding. And I'm a little fruit tree for Jesus. And there's all kinds of fruit in my garden. Peace, love, joy, happiness. How do you know? It's true. I mean, we all are so sick of the talk, aren't we? Some of us aren't because that's what keeps us going. We don't want to get too close. I prefer faking it. 
The only way the psalmist says, uh, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus said, by their fruit you will know they are my disciples. He said, keep, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I think some of us feel that repentance, which means changing my mind, is a really bad news. Repentance is like doing gardening every day. It's taking out the lousy stuff and keeping the good stuff. It's saying sorry. It's saying, Lord, you're right. I'm not perfect. You are. Forgive me. It's like taking a shower every day. It's just part of life. The ego doesn't need to rise up. It just needs to submit and say, that's the way it's going to be forever. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5. I'm telling you nothing that most of you don't know. Galatians 5, 22. No, yeah. The fruit of the Spirit is love, bless you, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What do you think the fruit of the slug is? Of Satan the slug. Take the exact opposite. It's not love, it's hatred. It's not joy, it's depression. It's not peace, it's chaos. It's not patience, it's impatience and intolerance. It's not kindness, it's meanness. It's not goodness. It's evil. It's not faithfulness. It's wishy-washy. It depends on how I feel. It's not gentleness. It's aggression. It's not self-control. It's self-satisfaction. I want, I want, I want. So how do you tell who's doing the gardening? You look at the fruit. The fruit is what will give away what is going on inside. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And my father does the gardening. So, we are all fruit bearers. God has created us that way. Have you ever seen a fruit tree that eats its own fruit? No. I don't think so. The only way you know whether a fruit tree's fruit is good is you eat it, but somebody else eats it. That's really important in the Christian world. It's a very important principle. You don't proclaim your own fruit. You don't affirm your own fruit and you don't authorize your own fruit. Others do that. I might be an anointed apple tree, but somebody else better say it tastes quite good. I think he's an anointed apple tree. (laughs) Really, really serious, isn't it? That's pretty discreet for me. (laughs) So where does fruit get tasted? It's quite simple. Fruit, I shouldn't say this, but it's one of these, I can't resist saying, this is a no bullshit talk. (laughs) Which, it just means, you know, we put up with enough from each other. And this is kind of like a litmus test of going, you know, let's cut it. You can fill in the blanks. And and be truthful. Speaking the truth in love, which is, we're all gardens that are partially full of weeds, partially with some fruit, partially tilled over, partially neglected. We're all of that. We're always going to be. The only thing we have ability to control is saying, "Who who do we say, Lord, please garden in my garden? 
By default, if we don't give him permission to God, then Satan comes in and does it anyway because slugs creep in anyway uninvited. So you can't be a neutral gardener. You're either full of slugs or Jesus is killing them. So where does the fruit get tasted, dearly beloved? The fruit gets tasted wherever I tend to hang out. The fruit gets tasted in relationships. Because some of us say, well, you know, I'm not going to be part of any community. I'm not going to, which is what I said, because I was fed up with community. And a thousand good reasons. But at the end, none of them are convicting enough. God just sits there and says, well, as long as it takes. Why? Because you cannot grow as a Christian in isolation. You cannot grow with Uh, any character development. Jesus did not call one disciple to follow him. He called twelve and then many others. And he hung out with them. It was all the process of relationship, the good, the bad and the ugly, that created the character that formed the church. Because you see, on my own, I I can look quite good. Because there's no test. It's all relative. So life will always be used by God to provide an opportunity to work on another area in our garden. This is a radio station that seems to just like to company. <laughs> it's, a lifelong, it's a lifelong process. Brought to you by... So, look at somebody like Peter. Peter's growth. It starts by Jesus saying, follow me. And he leaves his boats. He actually has to take a real risk. He has to leave all his security and follow this guy. Peter's whole security is on water. Jesus says, I want you to come on land. And just an aside, you know, we get really sucked into, if it doesn't feel right, it can't be right. We need to get really into the Word of God. Our feelings are so, so over the place, let's face it. Our feelings are important, but they're not authoritative. They're real dangerous. They can be wonderful at times, they can be a curse at other times. So we have to be rooted in the Word of God. So we need to read this Word. And Peter, Peter hears Jesus saying, follow me, and he goes onto the land. Let me just remind you of some of the issues in Peter's life. I mean, he hung out with Jesus for, for, for three years. In the midst of that, Peter's garden is being worked by Jesus. Jesus talks about suffering. Wherever Jesus talks about suffering, Peter has a better idea, doesn't he? I don't think so, Lord. Let's do this. Or not, not today. And one day... Peter says no to Jesus just one too many times and Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. And in our culture, how can you be so judgmental? How can you be so unkind? And Jesus just said, rather like Elisha, there are two realms here, Peter, and you've just got sucked into the wrong one. Satan is pushing your buttons right now and you're actually fighting against me, even though you're walking with me. Pay attention. And he didn't negotiate, he just said, stop it, get behind me, Satan. 
We need to be very aware that one minute I can bless and the next minute I can curse. Because those two gardeners, those two actors, those two presents in my garden are alive. And that is why none of us can be so secure that we go, oh, Satan could never use me, I'm just all for Jesus. Yes, he can, and yes, he will. And the only way to detect who's using who is the fruit. And the fruit is what comes out of the heart, not the head. Because the head can talk around all kinds of stuff. The head can take that book and memorize it and quote it. But it's got to produce the fruit. That's how you know. So Peter takes up a sword. Remember Jesus in Gethsemane and and the people come to arrest Jesus? Peter takes up a sword, cuts off an ear and Jesus says, No, that is not my way. My way is counterintuitive to what is natural to you. So he heals the soldier's ear. Remember that story. Peter's listening to the wrong guy again. Listening to Satan and the voice of Satan is very, very intuitive to us. We're much more used to that voice. It's very seductive, very natural, very understanding, very human. Peter goes back and he, den- well, he, denies him, he, he denies Jesus in the courtyard after he's saying, I will never forsake you. And he denies him. Who's working in his life then? Jesus or Satan? Peter goes down in a fit of depression to Galilee after he's totally screwed up after the, resurrection, after the, after the uh, resurrection. And he's fishing in Galilee. And it's there Jesus comes and meets him and says, I've overcome the slug. Let's start again. Which is what he does to every single one of us every single day. After Pentecost, Peter stands up and very courageously speaks and explains the whole theology of what's happened over the resurrection. The fisherman got quite smart and quite courageous. Now the gardener is really producing fruit in him. How did he learn? He learned through tough life issues. And you and I will also learn through tough life issues. Peter's on the roof, sleeping or praying, and he has a vision of unclean animals, a sheet coming down with unclean animals, and God starts talking to him about his attitude about eating special foods. He's tilling another part of the garden that he hasn't really bothered about yet, because he said, Peter, I'll get that to you later. Paul Paul, uh, visits Peter. He talks about this in Galatians 2. And he rarely hammers Peter. He says, Peter, you're wrong. Because Peter was was, uh, eating with the Jews. And when Paul said, you live like a Gentile, but when the Jews come, you get all intimidated and you you pretend. And Paul was vicious with Peter. He was really angry with him. He said, you're a hypocrite. Because there was part of Peter that was still the one who denied Jesus. And the rooster crowed. You know, the peer pressure thing was an issue for Peter that he never really got rid of. Paul, we know, had a thorn in the flesh, he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12. And what does he say here? He says, he says uh, I prayed three times for this thorn in the flesh, which was a messenger of Satan 
to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me and he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul was aware. Paul was a strong personality. Paul was an incredibly sharp intellect. And God let him have a thorn in the flesh which was something, we don't know what it was. For what reason? So that Paul didn't get so high and mighty that he began to think that he didn't need God. Are you and I looking for perfection? Are we looking for that moment in time when we will be able to stand up and say, I think I've got this thing left. If you are, then Satan's got you by the scruff of the neck and denial has really stranglehold of you anyway. The point is that the closer we get to God, the more Jesus lives in us, the more we will be aware of how unworthy we are. It's called humility. And you can't fake humility. Humility is a fruit that comes with a very real understanding of just how broken and screwed up and sinful I am at my core. And how incredibly gracious and powerful God is and what he did on the cross through Jesus, how absolutely complete that is. That is what I stand in. I do not preach myself, I preach Jesus crucified and risen. Is this good news or bad news or just sort of news? It's good news, David? Yeah. The voice of Satan focuses on what you and I do. The voice of Satan, the garden of a slug, says to you, you call yourself and this is what you do. Look what you do. Look what you do. Look what you do. It's a voice. The tone is condemnation. If you want to listen to the fruit that comes out of our lips and our mouths, when it's condemnation, when it's anger, it is not Jesus. We can wrap it up any which way we like. It's not Jesus. We spend a lot of time in the Christian culture pointing at one another, complaining about one another, bitching about one another, when the real issue is what rises up in us is our issue. Even if I am wrong, and as you know, I have been from time to time, no matter how wrong I've been, what's your issue with me? Whatever rises up in you is your issue, not mine. Your only issue is to love me to death. Because that's what Jesus is and that's the kind of fruit he does. And my only issue is to love you to death. No matter what you've done. Because you owe me nothing. I might be angry, I might be upset, fair enough. But you owe me nothing. You are not my debtor. That is the quality of love that will rock this world. When the Christians stop being so self-absorbed and actually have lots of green fruit that is all fake because you taste it and there's nothing to taste, there's no bite to it. Because the only way we find out the truth that's in our hearts is when we bump into each other in life. Simple. You cannot fake your reactions. That's why we need a saviour. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Satan's voice, and the reason I'm saying this, Satan's voice accuses you. Satan always speaks about your identity and says you are a bad person. You're a weak person, you're not worthy. All you do when you hear that voice 
He says, Slug, go and talk to Jesus because Jesus loves me and basically you're a jerk. Get out. Don't even give it the time of day. Stand in the garden. Jesus, Slug, seriously, stop entertaining it. Satan will all, he's not very creative. He will, I've got to stop. He will always just accuse and he will always just be negative. And that's, out of, that's the voice we often adopt when we speak to one another. All we need to do when we hear that voice coming out of us is we rush off to the cross and say, Oh God, I'm getting awfully sluggish. I've got issues. I ask you to forgive me. Please wash me with your blood. Fill me with your spirit. Work in this piece of ground because you're obviously alerting me to some stuff. And let's move on. And you might have to dig around that place for a while. Christianity is about a God who loves sinners and forgives sin. He hates sin. And he calls us on sin, but he loves sinners. So the voice of Jesus is easy because he always says, Hey, I love you. I don't like what you're doing right now, but I love you. And that's the difference. The love of God always calls us by name and says, I love to see you. I'm delighted in you. Let's, let's not do that. Let's do this. You don't want to be there, you want to be here. But it brings us back to love. And our lives are about walking into the promised land, possessing the land and choosing who we will follow and taking responsibility for our lives and our relationships. Peter said later in his last letter, or one of his last letters, he says, love one another deeply from the heart. Because he had learned. Ultimately, our hearts are the truth detector. Out of our hearts come the fruit. And Jesus and his Holy Spirit is the only place the fruit will come that will be different to the fruit that is naturally in us. Most of our fruit is very conditional. It rots quickly and it doesn't last very long. The fruit of Jesus is astounding, but we can't get it without spending time with him. And in 1 Peter 5, he said, Be humble, be self-controlled and alert. Resist and stand firm. And then the God of grace will be active. All we can do is own our own stuff. If you want to know where God's wanting to work in your life, just listen to your heart, listen to your voice, listen to your attitudes, own it and go with Him to the cross. And then sometimes we need each other to help us with that stuff. And you know when the rain falls on the garden? The rain falls on the garden and does a lot of this work as we give time to worship. Where we just say, here I am Lord. I actually don't know how to do this anymore. I don't know how to let go of this anger. I don't know how to change. And God will say to us, I love you anyway. Come and be with me and just let me melt that stuff. Sometimes we just have to learn to embrace the whole of who we are. That means the sinner and the saint. And let him love us into wholeness. And that will be a process that goes on and on and on for the rest of our lives. Don't be discouraged. 
you don't go out in the morning and see the garden, well you might be, and see weeds growing, oh I'm discouraged. You just go, well what do you expect? If you want a garden, if you don't, pour concrete over it. So as we come before the Lord today, as we come before him and to break bread together, just come before him and say, Lord, where do you want a garden? Lord, to help me to take responsibility for me and thank you that you have taken responsibility by loving me and creating a place for me to be made new day by day. And I wanted to just say, because I've noticed, you know, coming up to communion has got a little bit slack around here. Don't talk to one another. Give people time to just spend with the Lord. Don't interrupt each other. Just the breaking of bread, that time, the Lord does stuff. So let's not interfere or get in the way. Let's just respect those five minutes where we can actually not speak to somebody and just say, here I am, Lord. And let's use that time to give God opportunity to minister to us. If people want to be prayed for today, go over to the side and somebody will pray because sometimes that's helpful. And humility is just sharing each other's garden stories. And in this one there's real growth and this one, ah, the slugs are all over. But do not despair because Jesus the gardener and the Father is at work. Father, we bless you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that we can't do this stuff. All we can do is be the field or be the ground into which you work. And we pray that you will encourage each of us to not despair where sometimes we just see overgrown patches. But I pray this morning that you would uh, encourage us with the knowledge that you are at work in our lives and you will bring good fruit as we give you time and space to nurture that fruit in our lives. Holy Spirit, will you take this word and produce fruit out of it in your name. Amen.